This episode is brought to you by Mad Call Festival. Probably Madrid's biggest and best festival, Mad Call is returning once again this summer and it's going to be one to remember. Not only will there be massive names like Dua Lipa, Janelle Monet, Bring Me the Horizon and The Killers playing, because who doesn't love a bit of Mr Brightside after a day of pints in the sun? There'll also be tons of new buzzy acts like Nia Archives, Crawlers, Kneecap and Picture Parlour scattered across the bill too. Obviously, with it being in Madrid, there'll be plenty of ace Spanish artists to check out across the weekend. Plus, heading to a festival like this is the perfect chance to get a good dose of sunshine and culture, all while getting to watch some of your favourite bands and necking a cheeky sangria or two. This year's Mad Cool Festival takes place from the 10th to the 13th of July in Madrid, and tickets can be purchased now over at their website, madcoolfestival.es. Hello and welcome to the first episode of 2024's Before They Knew Better. It's Before They Knew Better, back for a new year, still with DIY Magazine, still with me. My name is Lisa Wright and my lovely co-host and producer, Giles Bidder. Yeah, and on today's episode, we've got James Smith from Yard Act. And you love Yard, we both love Yard Act. And DIY has some serious history there, don't they? You know what? Um, I DIY did... Yard Act, I'm going to say it was either second or third ever live show back in the uh, sort of confusing days of mid-pandemic 2021 when we couldn't put uh, bands on properly. We filmed Yard Act for a live session, which you can still watch on YouTube if you search for Hello 2021 DIY magazine. It was genuinely, I was there watching that day and I remember they were just immediately brilliant. Just one of those bands where it was just very, very obvious from the first minute of watching them that they were onto something pretty special which they have gone on to underline time and time again uh now they have second album where's my utopia that is coming out on march the 1st we had james on the podcast for the first episode cracking open the jar of 2024 and what did we ask him to bring in, Giles? Well, we got him asked to fo- we got him to bring him a photo, and we got him to bring in a song uh, and an item, all of which are Ace, yes. Neat, Boss, etc. Hey. Excuse me. <laughs> etc. Um, and as well as all of those adjectives, they were also very footbally. Which might we actually try? We needed to kind of steer it away from the United chat, didn't we? Yeah, he loves. Uh, well, actually, you know what? For a man who's brought in a lot of football-based things, actually doesn't seem to like football that much at all. Doesn't really care, but did when he was a kid, and that's what this podcast is about. Um, so, if you want to listen to James Smith of Yardat, who I'm, you know, I'm going to put it out there, is probably one of the funniest people I've met in. Ever? And it's natural. It's a, it's a natural kind of funny. Yeah. And, you know, he has the benefit of that sort of northern twang, which makes everything sound funnier than us stupid southerners anyway. Um, so, crack on. Listen to James Smith of Yardat talk about all of his footballing, footballing youth, his musical youth, uh, growing up in not Leeds, spoiler alert, actually Warrington. Uh, and then... Get your pre-orders out for Where's My Utopia because, you know, early contender for an album of 2024. Yeah, easy. props. Um, yeah, easy. 
Oh, also, we should say thank you to Focusrite, who have been giving us the gear to record this podcast on for the whole series so far. So props to Focusrite. Everyone go and look at their Vocaster software. And another thing that we should tell you is that this is the last episode of this first series of Before They Knew Better with DIY Magazine. We're going to be taking a little break for like a month, something like that. Um, And then we will be back with another 12 sterling, wonderful guests. But, you know, we didn't want to leave you hanging at the start of this new year. We wanted to pop in, say hi, leave you with the Yard Act. And then, you know, maybe you've got a month to go back and listen to the previous episodes. Uh, But until then, this is is Yardax James Smith on the 12th episode of Before They Knew Better, the last episode, the big hurrah of the first season. Thank you for listening. Carry on listening to James. You were talking back then about being a teenager in the pub. This is obviously a podcast about being young. Was that uh, the sort of prime social thing that you and your mates would do when you were a teen? Or like, would you be kids that like went and like did wholesome hobbies and activities as well? No, it was (laughs) park. And then it was like the rugby club put on discos. Every other Friday, it was that for a while. I mean, what was going on on that dance floor was just... He's a normal man. Uh, yeah, and then, so, so, I mean, I, I was like one of the youngest in the year and very baby-faced, so I did struggle getting in the pubs for a bit and, like, uh, used some awful look-alike fake IDs and stuff to try and get in. Because it was right on the, it was on the cusp where people didn't really, actually pubs tended to be all right. It was more going into town, into Warrington on a weekend. I just couldn't get in. But the, the bouncers wouldn't let me in because I looked about two and, <laughs> and and I was, I was about 15. So obviously not allowed in clubs. Um, but I also wasn't that bothered about that. I've always been more pub culture than club culture. Um, mm. And I wonder if maybe those, I wonder if those early years of not being able to get into the clubs were more formative because there maybe were a couple of us that did retreat to the sort of, you know, the nooks in the in the local pubs where where mm. we could be served a couple of a couple of pints of lager and we weren't going to cause any trouble and we'd talk about films and music instead of, you know, dropping a couple of E's and having the time of our lives. <laughs> not that it wasn't uh, not that it wasn't loads Which of fun I'm talking sure about hot fuzz. For hours um, on end every Friday fucking night. Yeah. yeah, what would be like the main places that people went out in Warrington? Uh, well, I mean, I was more of an alternative kid. So there was a great indie club called WA1, where I used to play a lot of gigs actually with my old band nice. uh, when I was a teenager. Um, and, I, and they used to, I actually used to DJ there a little bit. That's where I did my first bits of DJing. And um, um, I just loved that place. That was, that was, um, that was good. There was a pub around the corner from that called the White Hart Hotel. I always liked uh, Friars Court, where Yardact actually played. It wasn't a venue at the time, but they've turned it into a prop. That's like the the sort of small indie music venue in Warrington now is Friars Court. But that used to be that used to stay open late and everywhere else. You kind of end up there after two two a.m. I'm saying that I didn't go out in town, and I'm just listing what I did <laughs> yeah, yeah, most Friday yeah, yeah. nights. My youth. <laughs> but the but the the big the big one the big one was like. I mean, there was stuff like there was stuff like flares, and um, I can't remember what it, it was. Liquid and envy. There, that there sort was, of vibe. There, 
Stuff like, yeah, I, I mean, because Warrington was like incredibly known for Mr. Smith. So I don't know if you remember Mr. Smith's nightclub. Obviously, yeah. it predates us, but it was like it was like renowned across the country as like a club in Mecca, and that was on the that was on the Riverside, and um, it became like it's probably like an Oceana or something now, but it's still a mega club, mm. and like sometimes you'd you'd get in there if you were out with some for somebody else's birthday or whatever. Um, one of those places where you have to have like really an equal have, ratio yeah. of men and women or they'd only let a man in if they were with like five girls or something like that yeah i mean it, yeah it was i mean i can't I just it was just one of those meg i don't like big places i struggle with them i get slightly uh stressed i do like small spaces and there was a club called sassy's that would let anyone in so that's the one that i used to go into most and that was like <laughs> these sort of emo emo sort of uh, Moshe, that was like every mm-hmm. yeah, that was just like fourteen year olds all like necking. Uh, it, adults didn't go in there. Like it, it would be if you saw a man at the bar in there, you'd be freaked out. Uh, but yeah, but there, I mean, it, you know, I love Warrington. It's uh, I've, it's I hold it dear to my heart. Well, I this is the thing that I guess, like, you're so heavily associated with Leeds that I think probably a lot of people don't realise that you grew up there. Yeah, they don't. So Warrington, you were in Warrington until uni? So Warrington was your whole sort of like growing up, you, all of those formative... Warrington and a little bit... My dad lived in Runcorn, so a little bit of... I spent a little bit of time in Runcorn with my dad, but mostly in Warrington with my mum. Paint the picture. What were you like as a... You know, looking back now... Like objectively, what what were you like as a as a kid? You know, if you you've got a kid yourself now, yeah. You know what what kind of kid were you? Were you, were you were were you a bit goofy? Were you a bit nerdy? Music obviously seems to be like the the thing, like the driving force behind a lot of what you were doing. And what and yeah. what were your mates like? What kind of role did you play in your pal group? Um, I was quite submissive, uh, which is something that I've lost in time. I'm now overbearing <laughs> and dominate everyone. Um, when I was when I was younger. I mean, I've always been goofy, always been very silly. Um, definitely, all like, um, definitely just raised in a in a silly, silly house. Uh, Great, you know. Despite it not be, you know, and I'm not, I, I don't. This isn't something that I'm, I feel the need to go into, and I don't want to go down this path. But like, despite it wasn't a happy household, my mum and dad weren't happy together, but. There was a lot of laughter, and I think well, I'm only just coming to this conclusion now. You've asked the question, and I'm saying it on this <laughs> podcast. But I think those two things have probably been this, the knife edge of my life has been humour and just and misery, really, and <laughs> and, that, and how the balance of the two is really important. Um, yeah, just very very normal, uh, silly childhood playing out playing out with kids on the street when I was younger and had a couple of couple of mates at primary school that that kind of wasn't didn't spend that long with there was like kids on the football team but again I wasn't really good at football I mean I loved football but I was crap at it I didn't really fit in I wasn't a sporty kid wasn't into music at this point didn't play any instruments wasn't having any lessons in any instruments whatever uh, cartoons that's what I used to do I used to draw I was obsessed with South Park and The Simpsons and, mm-hmm. and Disney and drawing just drawing um, we used to sit on like 
on the on the street I grew up on, like in the summer holidays, I remember like all the kids on the street would sit, would congregate on whoever's doorstep and just draw for hours and hours. We'd we'd bring out the VHSs of the Disney films and copy from them. Um, and like Simpsons comics, I had loads of them. And and then South South Park was probably quite a life changing thing for me because, I mean, if you remember when the adverts started coming out for that, I was eight. I think it must have been seven or eight at the time. And like you, you have you're selling something that bright and colourful to a kid, like, and then coupling it with 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 the the humour. And mm. and the funny thing is, is like looking back now, those those early series of South Park are, are crap. Like they're not. Mm-hmm. Like the, I mean, one they're not as half as shocking as what we've seen since. So like the shock humor's gone, but the jokes aren't very good. And and I actually, I've I like, I actually think South Park had a golden peak about sort of probably seven or eight years later after everyone had kind of stopped watching it, where its social sort of satire was like bang on, and it was kind of doing, doing and saying things like that that um, that now wouldn't be acceptable. But like you know, but we're like actually quite astute at the time, and then it kind of waned again. But it was I can't I can't deny that it was a huge influence on my life. Um, yeah, I think like then, I had a, uh, yeah, I had a South Park duvet set when I was about ten years old, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I think like that, like it was so that was like the first time that something. I don't know. It was definitely, I mean, I guess you had like what, like Beavis and Butthead or something like that in earlier generations. But for like our generation. Uh, I love, we used to try and rent that all the time. Yeah. And it felt so naughty. And so, but also kind mm. of like aimed, like, I guess it wasn't really aimed at kids, but it sort of felt like it was aimed at kids or like it had like a kid's introduction thing because it was a cartoon. And so you could like sort of yeah. have ownership over it, even though it was like rude. And like that felt like did it feel like sort of rebellious? Absolutely, yeah. Well, I remember you'd be, you know, yeah, you'd be uh, like, what was the other one? Like when King of the Hill came on, you'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah. A cartoon, and then it'd be like, <laughs> this isn't very funny. But now I love that. Like I think the droll humour of King of the Hill is is one of my favourite. Yeah, I love cartoons basically, and uh, and I yeah, it's something that I've carried with me into adulthood. But I'm not, I'm not like. Uh, I'm not very good at finding them and stuff. I do tend to just, I've got Disney plus and I tend to just rewatch the Simpsons on a loop over and over again. And it just pisses. My wife doesn't allow me to watch it at night because she says it's too, too loud. Even (laughs) depending on, no matter what volume I have it on, it's too loud. Apparently the Simpsons. I get it. She says it's too shouty, but like, you know, yeah. Cartoons. I find a comfort. I used to love, you know, watching cartoons on a Saturday morning. Mm. Um, there's something about the colours that I find very comforting. And I wanted to be an animator when I was a kid. I had this sort of dream that that's what I was going to do. Um, Did you pursue was, it at all? Which was cut short. Well, no, because I, well, I wasn't allowed to do art at GCSE because I got into a bit of... I was not a naughty child at all. Uh, and I wasn't really that rebellious. But, but. I really, really fell out with, with the teacher of the art department because I told her she didn't have any passion and shouldn't be teaching the subject. And I threw a <laughs> pot of glue across the room. And wow. so I wasn't, I wasn't allowed to do GCSE art. And I think that kind of stopped my... I don't know if I would have got into music if I'd carried on with the, the art path because that's all I was interested in. But, you know, I didn't... I never painted. We ne- I never had paints as a kid or anything. It was always just felt tips and, and crayons. Uh, felt tips and shading pencils and stuff and I 
and when I first went to high school, I remember being like really drawn in by these giant cam. Well, they seemed giant. They were probably like A2, which is still quite big. Like an A2 canvas that clearly GCSE students had done or whatever of like, they'd painted a Coke can or whatever. And I remember mm. being like, oh, I can't wait to do that. And then yeah. that, you know, for whatever reason, that didn't happen. Um, so you told the teacher you don't have enough passion. That's a reversal of roles. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I really liked my first teacher when I was in year seven and eight, and then I got this, there was a new one. I don't know. I was I was out of line to say that. I definitely shouldn't have told. told no, them. I think that's well within your you right. Know. If if what? they're acting like they I don't know like if it is. I don't. Is it? I don't know. Uh, she okay. was probably just trying her best. She was probably exhausted by cunts like me. I was probably a dick. I was definitely a dickhead as well. I was. I was a. Sh- I was like a gobby shaft. Some things never Artists changed. Like, like um, Artists do act like that, though. Yeah, it was very much like sit at your stool and paint by numbers. It felt like that to me. I found it really stressful <laughs> because it's not what I'd expected art to be. Um, As a thirteen-year-old. But yeah, I mean, well. <sighs> Yeah, I'd had quite an inspiring teacher in those first two years that that mm. felt, he, and he also lived in the village. And in his garden, he'd uh, he'd carved a tree, he'd chopped his tree and carved it and whittled the top and painted it so it looked like a giant pencil was in his garden. So I found that, that very weird. inspiring as a kid. Like um, that was out there. That was like you know, yeah. and he used to draw with his mouth. He used to ask us to like, he'd be like, name an animal, and they'd draw it with his mouth without looking and. <laughs> Yes. It was like Mr. Grimes' his name was. It was, yeah, I loved him. And then, okay. it, I, yeah, I can't, you know. Just I, I don't know. I, school, schools are, it's, it's, it's funny how these things can tip you very fast in one direction, these formative years, and all because mm-hmm. of people that are responsible for so much of what you're interested in, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, not being able to do art at GCSE is a very first world problem in comparison to what some people go through. So, you know, and it turned out all right, I suppose. But Who was the person that steered you towards music then once art had sort of taken a backseat? Myself, really. Music department, I wasn't really, I was... I wasn't really excited in that. I never, because I never learned an instrument, I didn't understand, I couldn't read music, which when you were doing GCSE music, uh, sorry, when music before that, I didn't really have any sort of tangible connection to. And also I had that really ignorant thing where uh don't like classical music, I like rap music, so why am I sitting through this? Which now is stupid and I wish I'd, you know, again, wish I'd listened more and, and realised that actually classical music's incredible and you can learn a lot from it. And also because of the sort of copyright laws, a lot of it is royalty free. So if you want to sample because you like rap music, classical music's a good place to go. So <laughs> should have been paying a bit more attention. But um but but I, I was having I, I managed to get drum lessons through the school after a long and lengthy battle because I didn't have a drum kit and because I was left handed. Uh the teacher had said I wasn't so basically my mum and dad, we lived in like a like a little terrace house and for me to choose that when I got into music, probably because I love rap and hip hop so much, I decided I wanted to learn the drums. That was like the last instrument I should have been allowed to learn. But because I was so (laughs) persistent after sort of, I went into the break room at school on my own, pretty much every break and dinner for a, a year and a bit, 
trying to get five minutes on the kit, like jostling with older kids to try and get behind the kit to prove that I was serious. Because they'd said, if you don't have a drum kit at home, you can't have drum lessons because you're not serious about it. And my mum and dad said, if you're not having drum lessons, you can't have a drum kit because you're not mm-hmm. serious about it. So I was in this right. sort of stalemate purgatory. So I used to go in. And, and I think, actually, this probably ties in really early on. You said, what were you like with your friends? Like, for a couple of years, I didn't really have any friends. Uh, for the start of high school, I kind of drifted from my primary school friends. Again, there was people knocking around. Again, people, like, because I played football and stuff there were people on the football team that and people in my class that were mates but I didn't have much in common with them and I was I was hell-bent on this drum thing really it mm-hmm. kind of really it's a, like looking back it's quite it's like wow you you were serious about that and it's funny because I've never played a drum kit so it's very <laughs> weird that I was obsessed with this idea of being a drummer and um, and it, you know, it wasn't the greatest struggle of that he, you know, a human being has ever faced. But it's funny how much I persevered with it when all, all the signs were telling me, "Just will you just get a guitar or a keyboard or something that you can plug headphones into the amp of and do it in your room quietly?" Because I went for the drums. Do you think that was because you really did have an affinity with the drums, or do you think it was because once you sort of got to a point where there was all of those odds, you were just a sort of a stubborn kid <laughs> that wouldn't say no to these things? I don't know. The reason that I ended up with drums in the first place was, and this actually also this ties back into cartoons. So the first big musical influence for me that really, really connected um was gorillas, yeah, um, and okay. and it was because of it was because they were a cartoon. So I was drawn to gorillas because of the animation, and then the music kind of because the music's great got me mm. as well and got me hooked. And so this was in primary school, probably last year of primary school, I'm imagining, and with a couple of friends that I hung around with hung around with at the time. We all like gorillas, and I'd started drawing us as a cartoon band, very much in the style of gorillas. And when we were discussing what instruments we were playing, this band we were forming, everyone else just claimed, "I'm, I'm doing this." And then all that was left was drums. And they went, "You do drums," and I, I very submissively, despite having animated everyone into this band, (laughs) come up with the idea of starting a band that was an entire rip off of gorillas. I went, okay, okay, I'm the drummer. And that's when I started saying to my mum and dad I wanted a drum kit. And they were like, what? And I was like, well, I've started this band at school. And they were like, what are you on about? And and, and it, that's really funny because that was when I wrote my first lyrics as well. I started writing lyrics for this band that didn't exist. And it was funny because our singer, well, he was our rapper, was called Colin, right? And Colin <laughs> had designated himself as the rapper. And so he was rapper and Dan was on bass and... T- Tom was on guitar and that had been decided. So I was on drums because that was all that's left. So I just started drawing myself as a drummer. And that that in itself, I don't know at what point I realised this band didn't actually exist and that no, none of those people, Colin did rap. He was very good at rapping. Um, Big Willie style, he could do the whole of that album, but, but like no, no one played those instruments. Yeah, I, I don't know at what point, because I stopped hanging out with those 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 kids sort of fairly soon after when we went to high school, but I seem to have still latched onto this idea that I was going to play the drums. 
Oh, that stuff's quite cosmic in a way because there was absolutely, you know, that was like a throwaway thing that kids say in the playground and for some reason it cha- it altered my entire life and my ambitions <laughs> as, a, as a young adult. Like, going mean, like, it's weird, like, saying it. I've thought about this stuff recently. Since I had my own, since I had my lad, like, I've thought more and more about my youth. I reflect on it in a way that I never did previously. And I think, and, you know, on, on the new album, there's a couple of tracks that like delve deep into quite specific incidents from youth and, you know, teenagers that I don't think I would have thought about unless I'd had, had a kid because I reflected very differently on, on it since I had it, since I had our Huey. But like, I don't know what compelled me, but it, it did change my life, this stubborn, well, it's not even stubbornness. I don't know. Tenacity. I think it was naivety tenacity of, of 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 like submissive youth but look where it's ended up now with um you working with remy from gorillas i mean like yeah absolutely i don't i've, I've actually i've downplayed that i've not and well um a little bit and like damon's damon's mentioned he's a fan in a few interviews right, okay. which is come on it's kind of freaky because that's not like, that is like, I credit, I do credit Damon Arban and Jamie Hewlett with starting me on this journey. I ain't happy, I'm feeling glad I got sunshine in a bag, I'm useless. That's not gushing, that's not, that is that, that was that light switch moment for me. That was the, the Beatles to oasis or whatever it was gorillas for me mm. you know and it's like i found it funny all the like all the blur stuff in the in the in the summer when they were doing wembley and stuff and like and my wife she's a bit older than me so blur are kind of her band she's she's very much blur and it's like i love blur obviously they're, they're great but it was gorillas for me and i think for probably people my age and a couple of years younger that whole impact it wasn't Blur or Oasis, it was Gorillaz. Like, Gorillaz changed my outlook. And they opened my eyes and ears to so much music. You know, just quite underground rap. Like, Della Funky Homo Sapien was not a mainstream rapper. He wasn't on He wasn't on the radio. And mm. when you learn about, like, Del and like the hieroglyphics and you start to like go into like alternative left field rap. Obviously they had like MF doom on the second record and roots maneuver. Obviously roots maneuver was felt like a very big British phenomenon at that time. So maybe I would have heard about roots maneuver otherwise, but you know, Dell MF doom like that, that, that wouldn't have happened without, sort of gorillas they they trojan horse like underground yeah yeah alternative music onto the radio very fast and for a 10 year old to be listening to that is amazing like there's nothing cooler than going back to those first gorillas records and thinking oh i had no idea that de la soul was on that and yeah and then you start piecing together and it's there, there's such a joy there's so much like reward and like absolutely good well, feeling in that De La Soul, actually, I can't credit for Gorillaz for because they were on that Adidas advert, Free is the Magic Number, and that got me into <laughs> De La Soul. And I bought, I bought Three Feet High and Rising from the Music Zone in Warrington 
because uh, when I saw, I knew I knew this name Del Sol. This was around the time of like Napster and Bear Share as well. So I was illegally downloading as well. I remember he used to give my dad a list of songs I wanted, and he'd, he'd I'd write them down, and he'd set the computer going overnight to get them. And in the morning, he'd be like, <laughs> "Let's listen to Forgot About Dre, explicit." Like that'd be like uh, that'd be like that. And Dad, the wide boy. Yeah, oh, my dad loved rap music. Like, I got a lot of... I basically ripped all his KRS-One and Public Enemy CDs off the shelf. He had he had the Marshall Mavers LP, and I wasn't nice. allowed to listen to it. He bought that in, like, when it came out, before Eminem had kind of really... I mean, he was still massive by that second record, but before he'd mm-hmm. gone widescreen, um, Cypress Hill, we used to listen to Black Sunday in the van on the way to football practice. That was, uh, <laughs> yeah. But, that, and, 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 but I think that's another amazing thing about music is that those voices, um, Tom Waits, I mean, not <laughs> Tom Waits, the rapper Tom Waits, like Tom, <laughs> those alien sounding voices when you've got no image. Yeah. You know, because I was listening to this this music, Cypress Hill, like B-Real's voice, it's like, it, and because of the Space Jam soundtrack as well, that very much felt like I was listening to aliens from outer space coming through the through the stereo in the car, and like that. And then like Tom Waits doing his like Swordfish Trombones was, and I used to look at the front cover of Swordfish Trombones and just wonder what the fuck was going on. And I was like, did that man make that music? Yeah. Which which one of those two men that are holding each other made that music? Like, <laughs> um, yeah. And but my dad, I mean, my dad. My dad had still has impeccable taste in music, and it, and it was, he's never had any formula to what he likes. Like Sophie Ellis Baxter was on, like he loved Sophie Ellis Baxter. He loved. He got really into Bangra, um, which was quite a short-lived phase. Actually, I've not heard him listen to Bangra in twenty years. <laughs> but like when, when sort of Bangra was taking, um, what was that big Bangra hit called? I can't remember. Like it was the one that kind of like transcended into the mainstream. Again, it was used on an advert, but he bought a couple of banger compilations for the car off the back of that. Um, he, he looked fun loving criminals, like I absolute, and that was another one. The, the Pulp Fiction uh, mm-hmm. snippets in Scooby Snacks. I just wondered, like the visions I had of the woman yelling, "Every fucking last one!" Of you. Like the, <laughs> the the monster I could see in my head as a kid sat in my dad's van as this was playing, and we were on our way somewhere. It was like that's exciting. I think that gives you, hopefully, it gives you a little bit of imagination. I don't know, but yeah, yeah. I think also there's something to like when you're listening. So obviously now you can just Google everything immediately, whereas like maybe yeah. even back then it was, you know, obviously like the internet was around but like you know it wasn't such common practice to immediately go and look up every single thing about that person so it did feel like this sort of more magical quality where like you didn't really know who was the face on the other end of that voice and you might not see a picture of the Mm. person if they didn't have their face on the album cover for ages until they went on like top of the pops and it just like felt a little bit more i don't know like magical perhaps it's something I'm trying to get back towards a little bit is is when I find some when I find something I really like uh, musically, that's enough for me. And uh, um, I, you don't need to know everything. Like, but then again, that's that said, I also find you know I listen to I've been listening to this podcast, you know, Aww. and like learning about learning about Howling Pele, like was um, <laughs> was interesting. But maybe I want to know about him now because I've lived with the hives for 
15, 20 years, you know, yeah. maybe I didn't want to know that. When they came out, there was a mystery to the hives. I, I, that mystery about bands and that, that, that is exciting, you know. Yeah, I do yeah. think the internet has destroyed that. It's a shame. And, you know, I do it. You lean into the mundanity of who you are because it, people can connect to that. They want to connect to people that like them. But at the same time, we do need those fucking, we need those Sun Ra's and we need those princes and those bowies like i don't think it's going to be me i'm not that's uh unfortunately i don't have that much charisma and uh strength to be that but but um so i'll be who i am i'll be the everyman but everyone else they, they, you know i think I, I hope there is more mystery in other other artists well i think the power in it is that it forces us to use your imagination yeah and that's the most powerful thing of all I, it, it certainly is, Giles, isn't it? <laughs> it's true. It's totally it is, true. Yeah, no, I'm agreeing with you. I love my imagination. Some of the shit I make up is brilliant. Like all <laughs> this, everything that's come before this, just winging it. None of this is true. So I, li- so I lived on the south side of Warrington, uh, Lim, a village uh, in Warrington, uh, but basically a mile over and you're technically into Manchester. I mean, the Trafford Centre was like a purpose-built uh, shopping centre. I don't, do you know about the Trafford Centre? It was a very big deal in, uh, in the North West when it arrived. Before um, the Arndale. It's, it's garish. Oh, no. It's, I mean, it's, not in the, it's, it's off the motorway. It's a okay. purpose-built mecca for shopaholics such as myself. And, like um, the Meadow Hall. The Sheffield Meadow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it's bit, but it's like, I, when I first went to Meadow, I've only ever been to Meadow Hall once when, because my girlfriend from back home, when we both went to uni, she went to Sheffield and um, I used to go and visit her on the weekends. And uh, one time we went to Meadow Hall <laughs> and I got really claustrophobic and thought I was freaking out because it basically felt like someone had crushed the walls of the traffic centre in. Uh, it's 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 like a condensed compacted traffic centre and it and like my because it looks the same inside and all the shops are basically identical like I was freaking out because I felt like the walls were closing in on me when I went to Meadow Hall the ambience of the Trafford Centre is one that I'm always aspiring to when I step into a uh, into a uh, ring road shopping centre um, and you lived near the United training ground yeah yeah a couple of miles that was like yeah like a village over like six miles away so we used to go there in the in the the best day to go to there was uh, well because they used to be at the cliff which was more in central manchester but then they moved to carrington and when they moved to carrington i remember it being like quite a big deal because it was pretty close and and also because it was like out in the like there was nothing around it so you could just pull up and wait and the players would either stop or they wouldn't um and the best day to go was, like, in the holidays, it would be rammed with kids. But if you could figure out a day when your school... I mean, my mum sorted all this out. I I wasn't that tactical. My mum knew to take us on a day when we had an inset day, but the other schools in the area might not, because you yes. could just go and it'd be dead, and the players would be more likely to stop. So I met, like, every... The reason that I use this is my photo. Well, it's funny. I, did you get sent the photo? You yeah, yeah, looking at it right well, now. A- yeah, we've got so my, uh, a series of homemade autograph book clippings, I would say. Yeah. Um, but you've got, got all, the, got, big, yeah. all the big ones. There's Bex and there's Prime. Well, so, I mean, the 
see, this is the reason. Well, I watched the Beckham documentary, obviously, and oh, and I was saying to Lindsay, I was like, I I was saying to my wife, Lindsay, I was like, I've met David Beckham. She was like, Have you? I was like. Yeah, I've totally forgot. I have met David Beckham. I've met him like twice, like, you know, and I had like, and so like I am, and and then this came up, and I was like, this is the I've got to get this picture of me and Beckham. And so I messaged my mum. I was like, you still got all them like old sort of photos in United things? She was like, yeah, absolutely. They're in like a shoebox in the cupboard. I'll dig them out. And she started sending them all through, and I was like, where's the one of me and Beckham? And she was like your sister's cut you out of this one. So that picture you've got of Beckham, my sister's just cut me off it out of spite. I am there with him. Yeah. Wow. It's not quite as exciting. You've just got a picture of Beckham. I'm not in it. But I was. My sister cut me out in spite. Oh so my can we visualise for the listener? We're looking at the one... So, so it's Bex and it, you can see that it's only it, it's sort of like a, like a portrait size so your sister has got a pair of scissors and quite neatly cut you out because he's holding a flyer or he's holding oh, yeah. your scrapbook is he yeah. yeah you can see that he's looking <laughs> yeah. at someone and the someone he's looking at oh, is me. you but yeah 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 so I actually made it funnier when I realised I'm not actually in it and there's not actually proof, <laughs> apart from the fact that my mum definitely took that picture of David Beckham handing her, yeah. Is that not amazing that me. there is Bex, right, and I'm sure someone's got enough technology to zoom into his eyes and see your face in Bex's eyes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, amazing. But isn't that amazing? Um, You're, you've got a photo of Bex looking directly at you. yeah. Yeah, it's Did pretty Did you mad, take it, it up with your sister after when you found out that she'd cut you out? Did you have no, a word? No, our turbulent, our turbulent years are over. I'm not going to bring it up. I don't know when she did that. Like, I, I saw her recently, actually. She's she's great, my sister. She's actually in the other photo I sent of us with Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. Love that. Um, that's my younger sister, Hannah. And, nice. Um, yeah, we get, we get on well now, but when... When we were when we were a bit younger, we maybe well the the problem was uh, Hannah won't mind me saying this um, was that I was kind of like golden boy, I wasn't any trouble, and her and my mum kind of it was always I, I can't and I maybe just lauded it without just by not being chaos I maybe made it harder for her just by simply being a goody two shoes. Um, <laughs> but I love my sister very much. She's she looks great. naughty. I do. You can see it in her face. Yeah. She's, very, she's the more, she's the more responsible one now. She's, she's gone on to like actually live a life worth living. And then that, 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 that's not true. I've lived a life worth living. God, what? That's way too uh, dramatic. Uh, no, she's, I think she's contributed to, She's she's contributed to society much more than I have. She's a, she's a great. She worked with Elton John. She's is the question. very independent. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, she hasn't. No, and, uh, she See? never bloody will. No, she never yeah. will. No. Um, no, she's so great. No, she cleaned our ambulances during COVID, uh, no, which is, is much more noble. Wow. That is quite good. Um, <laughs> do you remember many of the interactions with the players? Like, can you remember who was particularly nice and like, or anything that you said to them? Good question. Um, I mean, I'm probably pretty starstruck. I can't remember really striking up conversations with him. I remember, uh, I remember some of the Oli Gunnar Solskjaer said was probably in that photo actually because I remember like uh, I remember my mum taking a bag of crisps off my sister 
uh, right before the photo. She's like, you're not having your crisps in the photo. And she took the crisps off her. And I remember Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer just in his, in his, uh, you Norwegian, Norwegian accent going yeah. like, oh, no crisps allowed in the photos like that. I remember him saying no crisps allowed in the photos. So I remember that. Like, um, Brilliant. I was I was on I was on the Sky Sports News loop with Roy Keane for 24 hours after he got sent off against Porto. Um, I don't know if you remember. I don't know if you're football fans. It's funny. The reason that I chose all these football themed things for this podcast was because I found it re- after the Beckham documentary. I got really nostalgic and I remembered so much about Man United in the 90s. And I realised like because. We get it a lot. Yardak get asked a lot about Leeds United and like people on tour just like do this banter with us. And I'm like, none of us give a fuck. And I haven't followed football in, tw- in like 20, in 15, 20 years. Like I don't, I just don't care. It's something that was so like all encompassing in my life and then just disappeared uh, completely. And it's something that when there's a game on in the pub or whatever, I go, oh, I'd love to get into this again. And I just mm-hmm. go, I just can't be fucked. I don't have the time. Like, when am I going to have time to check the scores or sit in a pub for an hour and a half watching a football match? Like, my life doesn't work like that anymore. But but a part of me also misses it, and it was very formative. That Beckham documentary, it's funny, isn't it? Because I was never really into football, but, like, watching that, I remembered all of it so viscerally. And, like, it was just, like, a different level of celebrity there. And it's like, I think even if you didn't care about football, you just knew all these people and you knew all the culture and like i don't know like from that sort of period like do you think that it was i don't know was it that you were really big into football or did you just really kind of like love following these people was it about the people more no for me it was definitely football at the time like we we followed football in our house um for a while Mm. and you used to play i mean like my dad i used to play yeah i was terrible but I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just quite a formative thing that everyone, especially at that time, it was kind of like you, your boy joins the football team, wasn't it? it didn't, even though I was crap, there was definitely a sort of weird stigma that I couldn't stop. Uh, not from my parents or anything, from me, I think. Like, there was a definite, I'm meant to do this, uh, gender, gender mm. role being sort of played out I think which is quite interesting but then what happened was I I actually stopped playing football for a bit and then I hit puberty and went back to it as a sort of 15 16 year old despite having no interest in the Premier League or watching football and I was actually all right then like once once I sort of went through puberty and and sort of had a sort of growth spurt yeah growth spurt and and like I was and got into exercise in a different way I actually played okay football and I played for a few years I even played when I moved to Leeds like at the at the College of Music there used to be like a Wednesday night football like thing and I used to play most Wednesdays for the sort of first year of uni and I've played sporadically since and I still I enjoy it as a sport um, but it's just something that's left my life entirely but no I was very much into Manchester United I wasn't really it wasn't the pop culture thing but watching that Beckham documentary he did he did single-handedly pretty much make football a sort of pop culture phenomenon rather than a sports phenomenon I think and and I think his union with Posh was mm. loved it 
was integral to that. And um, but even just like I, I mean, like I used to put brill cream in my hair because Beckham did. And like, <laughs> yeah, did you ever do that? Thing of it's a crap product, and it's definitely not a product for an eight-year-old boy who's got that. Did like, you shave the little bit <laughs> out yeah. of your in between? What the lad, what's the guy from the in between? Simon from the in between is <laughs> when he has that little like fork at the front of his head like i had that for years but i'd try and brill cream it up and wonder why it'd flop yeah i don't know um you know he like shaved a little notch out of his eyebrow oh uh, yeah i remember that i mean well i remember everything being banned at school obviously inevitably that david beckham did the funniest one was do you remember the ronaldo uh not not cristiano ronaldo the the original brazilian ronaldo when he just had like the the, the hair the 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 like the half like the the, the semicircle on the front of his head do you remember that cut not really but i can picture it well, I remember like people had that for the summer holidays, and then I did. <laughs> but like people had that for the summer holidays, and then like on the first day of school, they had to shave off the half day and go full <laughs> shave because like, <laughs> yeah, people were walking around with like people kept. My mum kept saying, "You're not having that. It looks like a cow pat." And that's what she kept saying. I wasn't so, allowed because it, it looked like a cow pat. My mum and my um, sister would be like, "That's so chavy." Chavy, the half moon cow pat on the forehead. <laughs> yeah, it's um. It was a good, it was, I mean, it was a terrible haircut, but it definitely, I feel like he did that just to get one over on Beckham. I think he was a bit like, you're going to do the Mohican, I'm going to do the, the half moon cow part. Well, it's um, that Nathan Barley thing, yeah. isn't it? That like, there must be, you know that episode of Nathan Barley where one of them goes and puts like loads of paint in his hair just to see whether all of like the people will follow him <laughs> as a trend. And it's like that footballers could just yeah. do literally anything and be like, just watch, watch them copy me. Yeah, but you didn't. You didn't see. Uh, you didn't see all the uh, terrified men start wearing sarongs when Beckham did that. That was very progressive when he wore that sarong. It was, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Yeah, I was. I, watching, uh, yeah. Do you know what I loved in that documentary as well? Have you seen the documentary, Giles? Yeah, I loved it. Do you know what I loved his dad at that bit when he rang his dad to tell him he'd worn a sarong, and his dad looked in the papers and he went, "I thought he looked quite good." And I was <laughs> just like, "Yeah, like yes, dad. <laughs> it's like." <laughs> this like really progressive like kitchen fitter just like go on son where is sarong I was like that's freaking great there's a lot yeah. a lot of sympathy you know you get through I mean one of the things that we haven't spoken about here is how United won the treble around that time which was just like you know pop culture sport culture everything British culture that was so that was like a tectonic fucking wave wasn't it that was splashed yeah. everywhere yeah, well, amazing. yeah, we we went to we went to Manchester when the when the bus drove around the open top bus. Um, nice. So yeah, I was there for that. I remember that. I think that was probably the pinnacle of my love of football when my team was winning everything. I got bored after that. <laughs> no, it was, um, and it was funny because I mean it, it, that aligns quite quick. That that does align quite well with me starting to get into music, which I wasn't really at the time. I mean, I like music and it was on mm. and it was around and I was listening to stuff, but I wasn't finding, you know, I wasn't like invested in it. And I think, I think the, the turning point for that was Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, the PlayStation game. I think a lot of yeah. people got their eyes and ears open to a lot of music, you know, a lot of rap, punk, hardcore. Killer soundtrack. Yeah, amazing. Um, and that, and, and getting into sort of alternative and skateboard culture off the back of that. Um, Dying your hair back. That kind of was. I mean, yeah, but yeah. So that that was where the that was the part in the uh, the Venn diagram where uh, mm-hmm. where I I had a football <laughs> shirt and spiky pink hair, like and um, love it. Which now, I mean, that just seems quite normal now. But at the time, that was quite bold and out there. Not many people were merging 
cross-sections of society like I was. So the object you have chosen relates to all of... So, okay, right, I'm going to show my ignorance here, but that that's like Subutio, right? Or is it not? What's No, that's not Subutio. Come on. What are Sorry, they, the little... Uh, what? Power pods. Do you not remember power, power pods? Do you remember power Crazy, pods? chocolate, no. mad. Grab a power okay. pod and go mental with the lads. I don't think they said mental, but... <laughs> I, I think it was grab a power pod and play football with the lads. Play football, Go yes, mental. Maybe they fun. did, actually. You could probably say mental on an advert in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, uh, you could say... Yeah, you could say it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Grab right. a power pod and go mental with the lads, yeah. What a power um, pod? No, power so pods. Do you not remember them? No. Well, you know, I, I was quite into collecting figurines and stuff. And to be honest, I was kind of in a... There was other stuff I could have chosen, maybe, but I was in a little bit of a like. I, I decided to do this football theme thing, but that's been derailed because <laughs> you've asked for Clint Eastwood instead of Lightning Seeds now. So, <laughs> so it doesn't even have to be that. I suppose. I suppose we could use it as a jump off to discuss my uh, my creative imagination when it comes to playing with different toys because I definitely well, use them uh, to play sort of roles in adventures. I was playing in my. I played. I played with like toys and and um, action figures and and stuff. Uh, until like later than well, I did creative play until later than most kids like, probably t- would 20, I was 21 probably, again first few years of, I mean I still do that now yeah <laughs> but definitely into my first few years of high school I'd get home from school and kind of play with my toys um, obviously I would never tell anyone that and that would it's funny because why would that be seen as such an embarrassing weird thing to just like mm do that but I did and again this was around the time when I had no mates so uh, did you give them voices sort of but I did a lot of it in my head because in my head I was playing out these quite big sort of journeys and stories and the, the power pods would always because I had quite a lot of power pods they would always kind of play the role of like a, a sort of army in it mm-hmm. they'd be like a sort of horde because I had mm-hmm. enough of them to sort of represent a horde. That does, because, I mean, essentially, when kids are playing stories like that, it's just telling... And, like, you know, you're a man that writes stories and that has written a book, I believe, that hasn't... I swear, yeah. You, yeah. So, like, the fact that that was, like, a sort of transitional thing where you still, you know, maybe you still needed something physical there to sort of, like, play the part, but you were essentially just, like, writing a narrative, but with... But with a physical yeah, thing in place, absolutely, to help do yeah. It. So yeah, when you think of it in like the context of you know, of course you were still doing that because you're a a storyteller, you know, a professional storyteller in your adult life. I don't know. I think it makes sort of a lot of sense that you would still be doing that. Yeah, but I mean, I just yeah, just like I just think yeah, it was just like yeah, it's just playing in imagination. It is yeah. not out of us, I suppose, isn't it? It's 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 like. Big time. What you you you're you're twelve years old. You go home to play with your toys. What are you doing that for? It was like that. Like if anyone had found out, you know what I mean. Which is very. It's just a very strange mentality. You know? I think it is different now. But I think you know. I think I think nerd. I mean, it wasn't really nerd culture. I've never been into that. I've never got into Warhammer or anything like that. I used. I mean, I used. To, yeah, it was like. I don't really know exactly what it was it i think it was just like what i like i used to like jurassic park i kept my jurassic park figures until like quite late on i had my power pods um i can't really remember what else like 
I got really into. I bought loads of Muppet figurines. I got really into the Muppets figurines. I love the Muppets. They were a big part. Of, I actually did have one of them knocking around, but I hadn't seen it for a while. I had Janice, the guitar player. I, like my mum kept all my Muppet figures. Um, <laughs> and, I, and once when I went back a few years ago, I, I took I took Janice as a little memento. So Janice is knocking around somewhere. My mum sent me a picture of that box that I sent to you. That was the power pods. But I mean, she, she it's funny that she's kind of kept it now. She kept a couple of toys from when I was a nipper that now my my son plays with when he goes to stay oh. at hers, which is really sweet. Yeah. He's immediately he's immediately broke one, which is quite quite <laughs> cute. Like this cherished, like it was a little Mickey Mouse fire truck that my mum's had for 30 odd years and my son's immediately tranced it into he snapped Donald off it which is quite funny um, it's all just plastic for landfill we really. loved scale like, electrics in our house yeah I never had scale electrics I really really wanted scale electrics I never had it I had one of them Hot Wheels loop loops at one point but they were shit because well, it, it Scale electrics was kind of shit wasn't it was it good but shit like, well, yeah I think looking back it's like I'm, you're learning about ele- like mini electronics and you make this thing go whiz off and you know yeah. it gets quite extreme if you were collecting loads of different figures was it the sort of thing where you would like have them all you know you were meticulously collecting they wouldn't that you weren't the kind of kid that would like keep them in their box and nobody's allowed to touch these things they were like mm, very much for no not at all no and i kind of regret that now because if but obviously that's not the fucking point of them, is it? The point is that they're there to be played with. But mm. if I'd been a smarter, more entrepreneurial 12-year-old, <laughs> I would have kept all my Muppets in the bloody packets and, and they're probably worth a fortune now because they, you know... It's it's funny, actually, because I remember getting the first one. I got really into it. I loved the Muppets. And it, and it, you know, people talk about loving Muppets Christmas Carol and they talk about loving maybe they love Muppets Treasure Island as well. But like, I was pretty hardcore Muppets fan and I remember buying the DVD box set. My favourite Muppet is Animal because I'm Mm -hmm. an absolute cliche and because I like (laughs) drums, I liked Animal, (laughs) uh, which is boring as fuck anecdote, isn't it? But, uh, and then to be honest, like, I mean, like Animal was my favourite, Animal is my favourite Muppet, but I absolutely, I do love, I love Beaker and mm. I, I'm a big fan of Rolf, the piano playing dog, as well. Oh yeah, um, underrated. But I genuinely, but I think, I think, I think the strength of the Muppets is is how they interact together. You know, I think, um, I think, it's I think, synergy. I think it's just one of, it's, yeah, it is a synergy. I think, I think Henson, Jim Henson, is is amazing and a huge, huge influence on my life. Much like the gorillas, I think the, the Muppets and and Labyrinth. And Fraggle Rock, uh, I love Fraggle Rock. Um, Sesame Street, not so much, funnily enough. I don't really recall watching, obviously I'm very aware of the characters of Sesame Street, but I don't really recall watching Sesame Street. But um, I was pretty deep on the Muppets. And I used to, we used to have this VHS of a Christmas film, but it wasn't Christmas Carol. It was where they all go to Fozzie's grandma's for Christmas I don't know if you've seen that it was like a TV special I think and we had the VHS of it 
And I preferred that to Christmas Carol, and I still do, but you can't really find it. It doesn't seem to be online. I say I've got Disney Plus and I watch The Simpsons all the time. I also watch The Muppets. Basically, I'm giving the Disney Corporation £10 a month to fucking watch reruns of The Muppets and The Simpsons, but, and I don't care. It's fucking worth it. Like, but, um, yeah, I was pretty deep on the Muppets. There's this one where they go to Fozzie's grandma's for Christmas, and I really loved it. And there's there's a scene in that where the Electric Mayhem, uh, the band, play mm-hmm. uh, Jingle Bell Rock, and it starts really subtle, and then Animal goes mad, and then all of a sudden they do like a really riffed up version of it, which makes sense because actually Sam Chippo said to us the other day, he was like, just before Christmas, he said Jingle Bell Rock is one of the mislead most misleading song titles you've ever heard because it's. it's <laughs> Quite, quite tame, slow. isn't it? As far yeah. as rock rock songs go, but uh, so the Muppets actually did right by the title and, and and amped it up. And I always remember that version. And I always felt very Christmassy when I when I watched that. And um, one day we were at Warrington Market with my mum. So I was probably about I was probably about eleven, twelve, maybe when I got my first Muppet. And there was like a comic book stall that sold comic booky stuff and action figures and stuff and I never really had any interest in it. I used to I used to have Simpsons comics but like I didn't I wasn't I didn't know about comic books. I didn't buy comics. I wasn't a collector like like that. And but obviously when you when you're that age you're curious by action figures and cartoons. Well I was anyway. So mm. when we walked past this store I ended up browsing it and I saw that they had this like little Muppet figure of Dr. Dr. Teeth, the band leader, Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayor, mm, okay. who's based on Dr. John. And for whatever reason, I bought it. And then I looked on the back and it was, it was a series of five. And I slowly went back to the market and bought the others. And then it kind of spiraled and I was kind of on eBay trying to get this I don't think I think he'd imported them so they weren't like readily available in the UK and I was like ordering them from America and stuff like that was like my an expensive habit was collecting yeah you must have got a lot of those notes through the post saying you haven't you need to pay more postage the tax ones yeah yeah Yeah, it was it was it was it was something that went on and and I don't know at what point I gave up but I had quite a few my mum's kept them and um but yeah, like all the bits and stuff have probably been lost. I don't yeah. even know what I did. I, did, I didn't play with them. I was a little bit older by this point and I didn't play with them. But I set them all up on my shelf in my room. I was just collecting by this point. I did arrange them, but I didn't play with them. So I'd kind of gone through that phase, I suppose. I, and actually, do you know what was a big influence on my love of the Muppets was the Keep Fishing video by Weezer. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Great music cool. video. Were they in that? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I yeah, don't yeah. think I've seen it. Uh, the, the Miss Piggy captures what's the drummer's name mind blank uh, pat wilson she captures pat, pat wilson in the back that's a great scene that's a, that's <laughs> what, what a great yeah. crossover there we go yeah now i feel like there needs to be some video a yard act video where you are or actually you're, i guess you're sort of cartoons on some of the new album promo so maybe uh, that's yes. well yeah the cartoon thing's really funny isn't it like i definitely think if I was to really try and get to the core of if there was like a unifying theme, I think cartoons are often seen as like a sort of symbolism of childhood, I suppose. And I think maybe that sort of naivety is something that 
I'm always trying to get back to, mm. even when I'm writing about more serious, ad- I'm doing air quotes here for the sake, yeah. adult themes. I think there's always like, there's got to be a childlike nature to what you're doing because, oh, and also like those years are really formative and it was vital. Like it was so important that, like I've, I've seen the way artists talk about how gorillas change their lives as a band and not just gorillas, but music that can like tap in. Like it's, it, I think we go through cycles in music where we see like sort of stuff as childish but what the fuck's wrong with that? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, what, the, the world is bleak enough. Like escapism and, and sort of fantasy are really, mm-hmm. really important. Like we use them as sort of filters to see, to see, to, to, to sort of get a different perspective on the world. We don't need to just constantly highlight how fucking bleak the world is in, in you know, we, we can do that by looking at it, you know? <laughs> so, mm. so yeah. So I suppose, I suppose, the the formative parts of my childhood the cartoons and the the toys and i think that's something that i've kept with me and uh something that that i will continue yeah yeah, stay curious creativity is just play anyway all it is is play that was yard act frontman james smith funny fucker is an objective truth. Um, Yard Act have, obviously, as we've said, their second album, Where's My Utopia? That is coming out on March the 1st. They are also going to be going on a big old tour around the country in support of that, which starts on March 13th in Norwich and goes all the way around the country, including a hefty date at London's Hammersmith Apollo, which I think we'll probably both go to, won't we, Giles? have a big old knees up Definitely. at the Apollo. Nice. Um, and that, that's going to be a celebration of a tour, isn't it? I think so. I mean, like, Yard Act, a band that we have loved at DIY for forever. And it's great to see them doing as well as they should justifiably be doing. Like, it's good when good things happen to good people who are good at what they do. If you have enjoyed this episode and if you enjoy the musicians and the people that we feature in DIY Magazine, then give us a little subscribe. We are going to be having a break for about a month or so and then we're going to be kicking off with Series 2 of Before They Knew Better in the middle of Feb. If you subscribe, then you will get each episode straight in your inbox on a Tuesday morning when it lands. It's full of more people like James, like all of the other wonderful guests that we've had for example felix white killer mike may muller olivia dean loads of people it is full of all the people that you will find in diy's pages brought to your ears once a week every week until we take another break again so give us a subscribe if you would be so kind and you know in the gap where we've got a month off you've got 11 other episodes to go back and listen to should you wish um and while you're at it DIY Magazine still has our bumper Class of 2024 issue out. That is our December-January special heading into 2024 with a whole host of tips of exactly who you should be listening to to keep your finger on that little pulse. Um, That is out and we have our new issues. Stay tuned for that. That lands right at the start of February. And it's got, I'm going to say, the buzziest band in the country on the cover. Who might it be? We just don't know. 
If you're up for some lovely live music, we also have DIY's Now and Next Tour with Hot Wax and Big Special. That is on sale and coming to a venue near... Well, I'm going to say a venue near you. I guess it depends on whether you live in those areas of the country, but a venue near a lot of people um, throughout April. And if you happen to be in London, then we are continuing our Tuesday Night Hallow 2024 series at the Old Blue Last throughout January that has got loads of hot tips and it's free can't argue with that yeah i think i think we we can we can sign off by saying thanks for joining us with this Uh, this is a brand new endeavor it started as an idea and now it's a a a thing that happens which is fun thank you all for listening and we're looking forward to doing more of these throughout the year with some interesting people interesting folk yeah it has been a true pleasure and the fact that people listen to it and seem to like it is just bloody lovely so good enough for us listening good yeah it'll it'll do um so yes thank you for listening please continue to listen when we return have a nice january dry damp or otherwise uh and we'll see you in feb This episode is brought to you by Rock in Rio Lisboa, the sister event to Brazil's iconic music festival Rock in Rio. The Portuguese leg of the event is set to celebrate its 20th anniversary with one of its biggest editions yet and over 80,000 attendees across its four days, of which some of them could be you. Taking place over two weekends this June, some of music's biggest names will be taking to the stage in Lisbon. We're talking Ed Sheeran, we're talking Doja Cat, even the Jonas Brothers are getting in on the action. And with each day specially curated by genre, there's literally something for everyone. I went to the town in Rio last year, which is curated by the same people as Rock in Rio. And it was, I'm going to say, one of the wildest festivals I've ever been to. This year's Rock in Rio Lisboa takes place on the 15th, 16th, 21st and 22nd of June. And tickets can be purchased now via their website, rockinriolisboa.pt.